Our Bible reading is from the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, we're following up our series from Ecclesiastes. We're looking at chapter 11. We're going to be reading from verse 7 all the way to chapter 12 and verse 8. If you are using the Pew Bibles, it's on page 663. Let us pray as we come to God's Word. Gracious and loving Father in heaven, we thank you for your Word. I will pray, Lord, that as we I come to the uh, reading and preaching of your word this morning, that your word would be a lamp unto our feet. We pray, Father, that you would write your eternal truth unto our hearts, and that you would give us understanding and insight, and that you would help us to apply your word to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 11, reading from verse 7. Light is sweet. And it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Let, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life, of vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dim and the doors on the street are shut when the sun of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sun of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth, as it was, and the Spirit returns to God, who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Thanks, Natalie, for the, for the water. I am a child of the 80s and the 90s, and among other things, I grew up playing video games. I still remember the day when our parents bought us our first video game console. Uh, we never thought or even imagined that this was something that our parents would consider doing. Uh, it came to us as a surprise. Uh, we were so very excited that we plugged it in almost immediately, and uh, we began to learn about the world of video games. In a video game, you play Im an imaginary character. The character has a mission to accomplish, a goal to reach, and you are given multiple opportunities and resources to reach that goal. The character that you are playing has many lives, and if you fail uh, the first time, you get to start over. 
Uh, all you need to do is press the restart button. It's as simple as that. In fact, the game even allows you to delay an action that you wish to take by pressing the pause button or cancel an action that you've done by pressing the delete button. In a video game, you have an endless amount of lives and an endless amount of opportunities to start over, to pause, to erase what you want to erase and continue where you left off. But the world that we live in is not like a video game. In this world, the real world, we have one life and one life only. That's all. And Solomon knows that. And Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, he, he wants to help us. He wants to help us navigate this world and this life. Life is fleeting, says Solomon. He's been telling us that from the beginning of his book. Life is short and there is no rewind button. There is no restart button. We have one life and one life only to figure out what it's all about before time comes when we say, where did the years go? And so we come to Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and chapter 12. And we are now very close to the end of the book and I have four things for us to think about this morning. The first thing is in verses seven to eight. Rejoice in the gift of life. Enjoy it, don't waste it. So verses seven to eight, let me read those verses for us. So verses seven to eight. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. In verse 7, Solomon begins with a metaphor. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. It is a metaphor that is trying to capture and encapsulate the sweetness and pleasures of being alive. In other words, what Solomon is saying is that life is good. Life is beautiful. Life is a blessing. Life is a gift from God. Something that Solomon has taught us already in chapter five, life is worth living. And yes, there will be days of darkness. Yes, there will be days of sorrow and mourning. There will be days of trouble. There will be days of injustice. There will be days of uncertainty and confusion. There will be days of hard decisions. There will be days of mistakes. There will be days of failures. There will be days when the unrighteous prospers and the righteous face adversity. There will be days of tears and days where we will be heartbroken. And Solomon has spent a lot of ink telling us about all the futile things of this world. But in spite of all this, Solomon says to us that life is good. Life is a gift, is a gift from God. Life is a blessing. It is beautiful. It is worth living. Even if you've been a homeless person for most of your life, it is still good to be alive. In 1967, Louis Armstrong wrote this well-known song, I see skies of blue 
and clouds of white. I see bright blessed day and dark sacred night. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow, so pretty in the sky, they are like, they're also on the faces of people going by. I see friends shaking hands saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. I hear babies cry, I watch them grow. They learn much more than I'll ever know. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. This is what Solomon observes. He observes a life that is sweet, that is good, that is a gift from God. And yes, there are days of darkness. But life is good. It's a gift from God. Look at what he says in verse 8. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. So whether you are 10 or 20 or 40 or 60 or 80 or more, rejoice in the years and in the life that God has given to you. Life is beautiful. Let us enjoy it. Let us appreciate it. Let us be thankful to God for it. Let us take delight in it. And the question, of course, is if we have one life, how are we going to use it? Are we going to waste it? Are we going to squander it? By pursuing things that in the end will not matter at all. Or are we going to live our life for the glory of God? Are we going to live our lives in a way that honors God? Life is beautiful. It is good. Life is a wonderful gift from God. But how are we using it? Are we using it for the glory of God? And this is going to look different for each one of us. This is going to look different during the different seasons of our lives. At 10, we are learning the catechism and learning to obey our parents. At 90, we are supporting the church through a robust ministry of prayer and encouragement. At 20, we are serving at Beach Mission, maybe. At 80, we are financially supporting someone who is serving on Beach Mission. For some of us, this will mean supporting our husbands by serving our families at home. This is how we are going to rejoice in the life that God has given to us and live it to His glory, teaching and raising our children in the way of the Lord. For some of us, this will mean serving as a missionary among the unreached people of the world. For some of us, our living for the glory of God will mean testifying to the goodness of God and the blessing of God lying while suffering from cancer. For some of us, it will mean pursuing a political career in order to stand for Christ in the public square in, the public square in spite of the huge personal costs. This is going to look different for each one of us. Living life to the full, enjoying life, this gift that God has given to us, this is going to look different for each one of us. It's going to look, now I can't tell you why, how this is going to look like in the life of Ian and Michelle. I don't know how this is going to look like in their lives. I don't know how this is going to look like in the life of Jack and Beth. I don't know this, how this is going to look like in the life of Paul and Anthea. I don't know how this is going to look like in the life of Angela. I don't know how this is going to look like in the life of Ben and Jean. But each one of us, we've been given a life 
that is beautiful and good, that is a gift from God. So let us honour God with our lives. The days of darkness will be many, says Solomon, and sometimes they will distract us, and sometimes they will discourage us, and sometimes they will lie to us by telling us that we are too young or too old to serve God. Sometimes they will make us doubt God's love and goodness to us. In those moments, we need to remember that we are alive, and life is a beautiful gift, and that we're still alive. It means that God still has a purpose for us. No matter our age, no matter our infirmities, we need to pray that the Lord will show us how we can still bring glory to Him and live for Him. John Piper wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life. And in his book he says, we have one life, let's make it count for Christ. So that was our first point. Life is a beautiful gift from God. Let us live it out for His glory. Let us not waste it. Our second point is from verse 9. Rejoice in your youth. Rejoice in your youth. Please look with me at verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, but let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Make the most of your youth, says Solomon. Rejoice in your youth. Make the most of the younger years of your life. Rejoice in the health, the strength, the speed, the energy, the fast metabolism of your youth. There are the days, these are the days when you can do a million things and bounce back the next day not feeling too tired. These are the days when you can go to school during the day, play tennis in the afternoon, and go to youth group in the evening and still have lots of energy when you come back home. So make the most of it. Because as we will find out at the end of verse 10, it does not last. Youth is fleeting. And this period of your life will go like a flash. And again Solomon says to the youth, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, which is a way of saying, follow your dreams, follow your desires and your passions in life. This is the time of opportunities. This is the time where God willing, most of your life is ahead of you. This is the time of making decisions, the time of exploration. But, says Solomon, know that for all these things, all these things, God will bring you into judgment. In other words, rejoice in your youth, thank God for your younger years. Live life to the full, but do this responsibly. Because there is a holy and righteous and just God who will judge your words, who will judge your thoughts and your decisions and your actions. And I think that the question that we need to ask ourselves is this. How are we going to prepare then? How are we going to help? How are we going to encourage? How are we going to equip our young people so that they do not squander their youth but live responsible lives in the eyes of God. The first implica implication of this passage, I think, applies to parents. The Bible calls our younger people to rejoice in their youth. That's what they're doing. They're rejoicing in their youth. 
That's what they ought to be doing. The Bible calls our younger people to make the most of their younger years. But it also calls them to do it responsibly and to do it before God. And I think that parents have an important role to play in this. Parents have a, a formative role to play in the lives of their children. And they're not alone in this. They're the grandparents, they're the f extended families, it's the, the family of the church. And we are there to offer support and encouragement to them. But parents have an essential role to play. They are to teach the truth of God's word to their children and, and model. Not only just saying this is what the Bible says, but modeling it in their lives. They've got to be able to see their dad pray. They've got to be able to see their mothers show forgiveness and grace. Modeling out. We know from the book of Proverbs, for example, that biblical wisdom is passed down generationally from parents to child. In the book of Proverbs, it's a father speaking to their son. My son. This is what the Lord says. My son, do not do this. I read somewhere that by the time that your child is 18, that you would have spent 80 to 90% of the overall time that you will ever spend with them. Think about this. In other words, the years that your children spend with you in your home are crucial. Because once they leave home, that's 90% of the time you'll ever spend with them gone. And your influence in their lives in terms of time will be far less. Now, you know, I have a son who's 12. He's sitting right there. That means that I've got only six years, basically. Six years to treasure and, and value and love him and teach him and model the Christian life for him and pray for him. And then he will grow up, he will go to uni, he will find a girlfriend, God willing, he will get married, he will move out, hopefully not too far from us. <laughs> I will still get to see him. So here is the time, isn't it, to, to teach them, to set the teaching of the Bible before them, to encourage them, to set an example for them, to pray and pray and pray and pray again for them. Because we need God's help in this. Because only God can change and transform hearts. Now we need to remind them that we are doing this so that they might make the most of their younger years, of the younger years that God has given to them. So invest in their younger years. Let them know that you are their biggest fan. You're cheering them up as they're growing up. You are their biggest fan. You're right there on the sideline and you're saying, go for it. You're there to support them and to love them and to look after them and to point them in the right direction. Don't delegate raising and encouraging and training your children to someone else. They also need to remember that there will be mistakes, there will be challenges, there will be setbacks. There will probably be a lot of sleepless nights. And we need to be prepared to show grace and forgiveness and, and patience. And then, of course, the direct application of the passage is to the young. Make the most of your younger years. Read the, book by, the books by C.S. Lewis. Join a Bible study group, volunteer for youth group. Join a university ministry, study part-time at the theological college. Put your hands up for a short mission trip. And I'm not saying to do this as do this or do that. Do it all. 
You can do it. Don't squander your youth. Listen and honor your parents. And above all things, above all things, give your life to God in Christ. Because there is no greater squandering, no greater futility, no greater meaninglessness in life than to live a life without God. But there is no greater joy. There is no greater sense of purpose. There is no greater blessedness. There is no greater sense of fulfillment than to live our lives for God and for His glory. For only then will our lives have any lasting significance at all. Have one life. Don't waste it. So rejoice in life. Rejoice in your youth. These are the first two points. Our third point comes from verse 10. Remove vexation from your life. Remove vexation from your life. So please look with me at verse 10. Let me read this verse again for us. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life of vanity. In this verse, Solomon is telling us that in order for us to better enjoy life, we need to get rid of the things in our lives that are causing us pain and vexation. The NIV Bible reads, Banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body. So in the first part of the verse, the advice that Solomon gives has to do with our hearts, our inner being. And Solomon wants us to learn to remove anxiety and frustration and irritation, all forms of irritation from our lives. In fact, Solomon wants us to get rid of anything that over time might cause us to become bitter or resentful or easily angered or vindictive. It might be an unresolved dispute with a family member and instead of trying to address the issue, we allow the problem to fester and become worse. It might be something from our past that is, that is eating at us. It might be regrets, untold things, unconfessed sins. And Solomon says to us, remove it, address it, resolve it, confess it, learn to let it go. We need to learn to get rid of the things in our life that are causing us bitterness and vexation. So that's the first part of the verse. In the second part of verse 9, Solomon says to us, put away pain, pain from your body. And that word there, pain, uh, can be translated two ways. It, it could be translated trouble, or it could be translated evil. So it could mean two things. The first thing that it could mean is that Solomon might be telling us to put away evil from our lives meaning to put away sin. Maybe that's what Solomon is saying. Deal with the, vexation, the vexing thing, but also get rid of the sin in your life. Someone once told me that those who do not learn to control their anger when they are younger will find it harder to control it as they get older. Is that true? Someone once told me that those who do not learn to control their tongue while they are younger will struggle even more as they get older and lose more and more the mental capacity to stop them from doing it. It's a scary thought, isn't it? 
So what Solomon might be telling us here is deal with sin in your life now. If you're finding it hard to be self-controlled and, and anger is taking over, you, you need to learn to control it now. Because as you get older, it's going to be harder. Or maybe Solomon could be saying to us that we should alleviate pain in the body as if physical pain. Alleviating the things in our life that are causing us physical pain, like a bad knee or a bad shoulder. Let's get a doctor to look at it. So maybe that's what Solomon is saying. Um, let us do it while we're physically able to do it. Because as we are younger, we heal better. So there is no reason, Solomon says, why we should stay miserable when we can avoid it. Yes, there will be times, there will be times when the Lord himself will send things into our lives, a thorn in our flesh maybe, in order that we would learn to trust in him. But there are cases when all we need to do is go and see a doctor. And by reminding us that our youth is fleeting at the end of verse 9, I think that Solomon is encouraging us to deal with those vexing things of our lives now while we're still young. The implication is that it's a lot harder to deal with these things as we grow older and start to become set in our ways. So let us put into practice what the Bible teaches us. Let us remove the things in our lives that are hindering us from enjoying life that God has given to us. Let us, with the help of the Holy Spirit, remove from us the sins that are causing us to stumble. We've just sang this, this, this hymn, Our chains are gone. We've been set free. So let us live for Christ. And may we remember that we have the Spirit of God living in us to help us in our weaknesses, to help us in our fight against sin. So let us learn to bring our weaknesses to God in prayer. And let us learn to do all these things while we still have the mental, the spiritual, and the physical capacity to do so. Because as we will see in our last point, there is no fountain of eternal youth on this earth. And no matter how many new Indiana Jones movies they make, where Indiana Jones finds a little cup and drinks it and becomes younger, there is no one who is getting younger. And that brings us to our last point this morning. And that's in chapter 12. Remember your creator while you live. So rejoice in life. Rejoice in your youth. Remove vexation from your life. And finally, remember your creator. Some things in life can be both beautiful and haunting. It's like the final scene of a dramatic op opera played at the theater. And it's done so well that at the end, the audience is so captured by what is happening and so moved and so gripped but what's happening on the stage that as the curtain comes down, there is nothing but silence. A deep, loud, and heavy silence. 
And then slowly, one person, maybe two, they start to clap, and the curtain opens up again, and the artists move forward, they do their final bow. The poem that Solomon writes in verses 2 to 7 is a little bit like this. It is both beautiful and grippingly intense. In this poem, the, the gradual decline of old age is described. And finally, the inevitable happens. In verse 2, Solomon compares the ominous decline of our years to the darkening of the sky. He looks outside, he sees the storm coming and he says, this is what it's like to grow older before the sun, the light, the moon, the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. And then in verse 3, he looks at the keepers of the house and they tremble. They are a picture of someone's hands that once provided for the needs of this house. But now they tremble, they shake. They don't have the strength, the precision and the stability that they used to have. The strong men are bent. They are a reference to the legs of a person that can barely hold the weight of their body anymore. Their legs are bent. And the grinders cease because they are few. The grinders are our teeth. With them we grind our food. But now, they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. Our eyes are the organs we used to see, but they are now dimmed. These were the days before spec savers or laser eye surgery. Our eyes, our ears, our lack of sleep, our voices, they all mentioned in verse 4. Our ears do not hear so well anymore. We wake up earlier and earlier. And our voices become weaker and weaker. Our singing years are behind us. In verse 5, we learn that the elderly person is afraid of heights and afraid of falling. The blossoming almond tree stands for our white hairs. Palestinian almond trees have white blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along. Have you ever tried catching a grasshopper? Maybe when you were young. Try catching one. The grasshopper is an animal that is known for its agility and its speed and its reflexes. As soon as you try to catch them, they bounce off. But this grasshopper drags itself along. Its joints, its energy level is not as it used to be. And desire fails. There is a lack of motivation, a lack of drive. There is a diminishing of our appetite, and we start to lose weight. And slowly, but surely, the end comes. The silver cord is snapped. The golden ball is broken. The pitcher is shattered. The wheel breaks, the glass drops and breaks. The beautiful life ends. We return to the dust. We go to our eternal home and our spirit returns to God. And just like that, in the space of a few verses, Solomon goes from speaking to the youth to speaking to those who are in the twilight of their years. And this is his word to us. Whether we are five or 95, remember your creator. Remember God. God made us.
God gave us life. This beautiful life is a gift from God. Make the most of your younger years. Leave it all out. Put it all out on the line for Christ, for God. Remember your Creator. He is the one who sustains us every day of our lives. He's the one who provides for us, for every one of our needs. And remembering God is not simply a matter of having a good memory. Remembering God means acknowledging God and believing in God with all our hearts and building the foundation of our lives on Him, knowing that He made us, we belong to Him, and we're not the result of some chemical accident. God designed us, He made us, He's given us life. John Calvin in his institutes says that we cannot really understand who we are until we understand who God is. So to truly enjoy life and to truly glorify God with our lives, we need to understand who God is. We need to understand where we stand before Him. We need to understand that we are sinners. We need to understand that our decisions matter, our lives matter, and how we live matters. We need to understand that judgment is coming. We need to understand that we are slowly but surely walking to our eternal home. We need to understand that the time is coming when God will separate the righteous and the unrighteous. We need to understand that God has provided a way of salvation for us. We need to learn about the good news. And not only learn about it, but come to a saving faith. Believing in it, trusting in, in Christ, repenting of our sin. We need to come to know God the Son who gave His life for us. And we need to do this before the end comes. Because it is coming. So let us enjoy the beauty of God's creation. Let us rejoice in this life that God has given to us. Let us rejoice in our youth. Let us live responsibly before God. Before the end comes. But maybe you're thinking, maybe you're thinking, but Joel, how can I rejoice when things all around me is, is falling apart. And I, yes, life is beautiful. And I, and I look at people around me, they, their lives looks great. And then I look at my life and I feel like I've squandered my youth. I feel like I've, I've squandered my life. I feel like I have not lived uh, this life that Solomon is challenging us to live. I, I feel like I'm running out of time. Maybe that's you this morning. And you're thinking about this. How, how do we rejoice in this? Well, in this moment, we, again, we, we remember our Creator. What is Solomon saying to us in the midst of all that? He's saying to us that we need to learn to, to cast our eyes not on the things that are happening around us, but to cast our eyes on God, to lift up our gaze. If only we could capture who God is and what He's done for us in Christ. Because though we've failed and we will continue to fail, Christ, He's, he's lived the life that we could never live. And Christ has come to forgive us, to live this life that we could never imagine we could live. 
And He's given us salvation. He's given us forgiveness. He's imputed to us His righteousness. And so let us rejoice in Him. God doesn't say to us, why don't you try a little bit harder? God doesn't say to us, well, why do you do a little bit better? God sees our weaknesses. He sees our misery. And He says to us, I've come to help you. I've given you my Son. Trust in Him. Look to Him. So the end is coming. Let us remember our Creator. Let us remember our Savior. Let us rejoice in Him. For this is the chief end of man, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Amen.